So Tara, one thing that I love about our friendship is how on the surface we look so different, you know, in like our interests and our activities and everything is so different. But at the same time, we share so many similarities. Like we're both musicians. We both have this passion for music. We love to write and and produce and all that stuff. And it's just kind of fascinating how how similar we actually are and how much we do have in common, despite what it looks like from the outside looking in. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hi. Hi. Welcome to the store. Hi. Uh, You know, take a look around and let us know if you need anything. I'm Tara. This is Natalie. Yeah, you're right. I feel like even with some of the things that I've learned about you from your first timers interview quiz that we took, I feel like even some of our childhood things are very similar, but also different. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting kind of look into our different paths and how we both are obsessed with music and even love a lot of the same music too. Yeah, I just think it's so interesting that we've had such different experiences and different lives as we've grown up, and yet we've still managed to find each other and find like a really strong common ground. That yeah. kind of binds us together. It's neat. And it's all music, like the best kind of glue in the world, right? Yeah. And what's interesting is I feel like I have a lot of friends, like my close friends are the same way. Mm-hmm. Similar, very similar, but also very different. It adds some spice to life, I think. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if there are any groups or bands that have found creative paths with their differences and similarities. Yeah, that's kind of what I was thinking about too. Like all of these different genres and this this palette of music that can mix mix up and create such fun music that you and I both love. And like the first artist that came to mind for me was Daft Punk. I think people are pretty familiar oh, with yeah. the wide, vast array of musical artists that have influenced a group like Daft Punk. So I thought it would be fun just to like pay homage to our our different paths and how we've managed to find each other (laughs) and form this friendship. Maybe we could do that with Daft Punk and kind of like pick a genre that has clearly impacted their style, their musical style, and sort of like follow that thread back in time. Does that make sense? Definitely. It's it's a rough idea. I thought we could experiment this week. Let's dig into it. I think that that's such a great idea, (laughs) especially with Daft Punk. There's plenty to talk about with that. Um, with them there. So revolutionary. I feel like, didn't we even talk about them recently when Seth was in the store with uh, the first time being introduced to something new in music and how Daft Punk kind of changed the the game. They weren't the first to do all the samples, but the way that they did it and the sound that they brought was different at the time and what we needed. Definitely a unique mix of flavors, right? That made fresh sounds for us. Yeah, let's do it. So what genres should we do? Well, I, I know what I want to do. Can I pick mine? Which one? Yeah, which one do you want to do? I want to do the dance music aspect, the house and the electronic music, because you know that's my jam. Nice. Well, you know, I'm, I'm big into rock and funk uh, and disco, so maybe I can Sweet. touch on that a little bit. Absolutely. Let's do it. Nice. Let's do it. Well... I do know a little bit about Daft Punk, <laughs> and I know Guy Manuel de Homem Cristo, born in 1974, 
he was given a toy guitar and keyboard when he was like seven years old. And Thomas Bangalter, same. He was about six when he got his first piano. We started playing piano at age six. And and then Guy Manuel was given actually an electric guitar at 14. And then Bangalter also started playing bass. They formed a band with Laurent from the band Phoenix. The band was called Darlin'. Let's hear a little clip of Darlin'. They met in school in the 80s, late 80s, and they shared a taste, uh, a love for music. They loved Rolling Stones, Elton John, MC5, The Stooges. That band name, Darlin', is actually from a Beach Boys song. Oh, cool. Yeah. Apparently, Thomas Bangalter used to buy a record every week. One record. Every week? Yeah. We'll just say these kids grew up privileged. <laughs> I was going to say that's quite the allowance. <laughs> every week. <laughs> well, Thomas Bangalter's dad was actually a famous songwriter producer. His name is Daniel Vanguard, and he produced acts like uh, the Gibson Brothers, Ottawan. Sheila B. Devotion. I mean, that song, Disco, by Ottawan, is a banger. Let's hear that. So growing up around that and having a dad like that, I can imagine definitely influenced Thomas Bangalter in a huge way. Oh, yeah. He was clearly born and bred for this. Right. Although I've read that he had no intention of getting into music like his father. It seemed to kind of fall in his lap. But I'm sure that having his dad around helped them to maybe do things the right way. Mm -hmm. It seems like they were able to keep a lot of ownership in how they managed and produced and stayed true to themselves as Daft Punk. But just to go back to the 90s again, Darlin is a band Stereo Labs label, Duophonica, puts them on a compilation. They get reviewed by this uh, magazine called Melody Maker. The writer says, it's daft punky thrash. Okay, I buy that. Yeah, so <laughs> that's a little foreshadowing right. of what's to come. But just another influence in the 90s that they really liked, which in my mind, this group does a really good job of also blending rock and funk is Primal Scream. They were really into Primal Scream and 90s British rock and acid house. So if you've listened to Primal Scream, Screamadelica, it's pretty funky. It has kind of a throwback vibe to also the 70s, but still leans heavily in the 90s as well. It does a lot. Uh, it's got a, yeah. a lot of different sounds and inspirations that you can hear in the different songs, don't you think? Yeah. I love Primal Scream. So yeah, anyways, they end up breaking up the band. Laurent goes off to form Phoenix. And Thomas and Guy Manuel form Daft Punk. Yay. They, yeah. And bless us they all. They set up a beat lab in their bedroom and... <laughs> Took it away. It's always where the magic happens, man, in the bedroom. <laughs> oh, 
Yeah. And the music that takes you there is the funk, is the Barry White. <laughs> Bit of a Freudian slip there. Yeah. I feel educated, Tara. I never really knew that full origin story of Daft Punk. Really? No, totally. <laughs> nice. But now, yeah, I'm curious to hear how that funk and rock and roll inspiration like persisted throughout their discography. Can you talk about that? Yes, I can. So, you know, like I said, they they built a beat lab in their bedrooms and started to really get into electronic music. I think, I can't remember if, I, I heard in an interview, it was either Thomas or Guy Manuel, one of the two went to New York, and this is the 90s, went to New York and went to the clubs and experienced dance music and clubbing. And this is like Michael Eilig times, right? Like, this is like club kid times. And I know. <laughs> I was born 10 years too late, I tell you. <laughs> Weren't we all? <laughs> but came back and sort of then took all of their inspirations, disco, funk, soul, and of course, electro house, techno, rave, all this stuff that you're probably going to mm-hmm. teach us about, tell us about, and, and started working on dance music tracks. They put out an EP. They were signed to Soma Records, but Soma Records is really small, and they couldn't keep up. They were getting calls from all over the world. We need more Daft Punk. We need more Daft Punk. So homework was part of that. So Daft Funk, the song, was actually released twice. But the inspiration that put all of that music together for them on homework was a culmination of all those inspirations that they had, all the those music genres that they love so much. And of course, at the time, the big beat invasion was kind of happening, like, you know, The Prodigy, the Chemical Brothers, things like that. But when you look at that first single, Defunk, It's a disco rager. Oh, for sure. Defunk sampled Barry White's 1973 hit, I'm Gonna Love You Just a Little More Baby. As well as Von Mason and Crew's 1980 hit song, Bounce Rock Skate Roll. which is a roller skating jam. If you have a playlist for roller skating, please make sure that that song is on there. Otherwise, you're doing it wrong, I think. <laughs> but yeah, uh, um, those 70s, late 70s and early 80s disco funk songs, bands like Pleasure, Edwin, Birdsong, all of these bands really inspired them and they were able to sort of blend their own cocktail of funk but inject the electronic elements to make them as powerful as their peers in the MTV Amp era. Very cool. I feel like I mentioned this before, but I also discovered Daft Punk on one of those compilation albums. It was one, it was an MTV yeah. compilation and Defunk was on that record and I was like, that one. who yes. is this? I have to hear Me more too. of this. <laughs> Me too. I it's saw the video the with CD. the dog. Yeah, yeah. I saw the video with the dog. Like, 
supposed to move. Yeah. On that song, uh, Teachers from Homework, it's basically an homage to all their inspirations. And you have like funk musician, magician, George Clinton mentioned on that record or on that track, as well as, you know, huge techno artists, which maybe you'll get into also. But yeah, it's it's pretty, I think it's pretty telling how homework, it wasn't by any means a failure at all. It was like introducing the world to Daft Punk. It was with, you know, alternative was, and rock was sort of fading into the background a little bit more. Grunge was kind of falling out a little bit more as they started to grow and grow on the electronic music side. And then they brought on Discovery. Oh, I think I mentioned this before too when we were talking about Daft Punk with Seth, that Bangalter said, he, he commented on the stylistic approach of homework and discovery. Homework was a way to say to the rock kids, electronic music is cool. Discovery was the opposite. <laughs> discovery was saying to the electronic music kids, rock is cool and you can like it. Yeah, that's pretty clear. Yeah. And where homework had been like kind of rough and raw, discovery is more explorative in the song structure and started to change the musical sound of things and was very inspired by another artist we were talking about recently with Seth too, Aphex Twin. Mm, yes. That weirdo. Yeah. Love him. That weirdo. Love him. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So here we are. Discovery. This is the early 2000s. You know, when you think about disco, I'm just going to go back to disco a little bit here. Think about a disco song that you love. It usually has a song structure in a way that it really starts to climax and takes you to the dance floor and then explodes. It has these sort of, um, it doesn't pummel you like some of those big breakbeat electronic songs do, like the Prodigy would kind of pummel you, right? But I'm listening to Sylvester in my head right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's a buildup. Yeah. And I feel like they kind of approached discovery that way where you know they would have parts just kind of creep in and build up to this climax think of one more time which is a song that uh, samples eddie johns another funk master from 1979 the song more spell on you Um, but yeah, Discovery samples Eddie John's Sister Sledge sampled on the song Aerodynamic. Sister Sledge, Maquillage Lady from 1982. And you also have epic George Duke 1979 oh, song, Love You More. George Duke, honey.
on the track Digital Love. And the last one I'll mention is the song by Edwin Birdsong, maybe more of a deep cut, Cola Bottle Baby. On the song, Harder, Better, Faster, Stronger. My jam. Personal, my jam one of my personal too. favorites so from that record. <laughs> you were talking about how the songs have this like climactic structure in this release, you know? Don't you think that's like the soul influence in like what was so what was happening in yeah. Motown at the time with those these beautiful um, melodies and then these big dramatic string arrangements, you know, that they carried a bit of that into their composition? Maybe, yeah. Do you know when I think of Motown, for me, though, I feel like Motown is so much a call and response thing, and disco was really more of this buildup. But there is probably a point where they started to blend. Motown started to get more into that soul funk thing rather than this, well, it's still soul, right? Yeah, all stemming from soul, basically. I know, Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's all also but I guess I'm like thinking girl groups guy groups they're doing the more like kind of a doo-wop R&B moment and then the disco funk soul stuff and then fast forward electronic but yeah I mean I guess so yeah the later years Motown yeah I would say the song face to face from discovery samples so many songs <laughs> so many and I don't even know if they found them all but it's ELO, Alan Parsons Project, Loggins Messina, Fogelberg and Weinsberg, and Mondo, just to name a few, on just one song. These are epic samples, so go check it out. Have you done any sampling? Do you experiment with that at all? I have. I have. I've spliced the Almond Break and tried to make a drum and bass song, and I've also used and spliced samples, but sounds, not other people's music yet. Mm. What about you? No, which is kind of silly. I, <laughs> I, I have so many people like available to teach me more about it. I guess I've always been like wary of the legal aspect and nervous about how that works, which is probably why I haven't explored it more. Me too. But I have so many ideas for like cool ways to sample songs me I love. Me too. <laughs> me too. I have a list of songs right. I want to sample, but I have never done it and I'm afraid to do it. But maybe yeah. we'll just try. And then thinking of, I think this band was probably highly influenced by Daft Punk, uh, The Avalanches. Yeah. I think they made that one album like before it ever was even pressed to vinyl. So they had to like remake it and then <laughs> get permission which I don't know Ugh. if they were able to get permission for some of them. So that when they had to remake it, didn't get some of the pieces of songs or even some of the songs on that, that release God. when it was released. What a nightmare. Since I left you. I know. It sounds awful. But the, they've sampled so many things. The way they squish things together. It, it, yeah. That was probably really an undertaking to find people to even talk to, to get those samples released. I'm sure. Like a treasure hunt. That sounds fun. Yeah. Yeah. So we made it out of Discovery. That was in the early 2000s. And Human After All comes out. I guess it's still early, mid-2000s with Human After All. And there, it almost in some ways is 
not entirely, but there are some polar opposites of discovery on this album where you think about the song, The Brainwasher. They sample Black Sabbath, Iron Man. And it's almost like to counter what they had done previously on Discovery with more like punk and just like this more thrash, right. thrashing kind of in your face thing. But also one more funk song that they sample on Human After All that I think is so cool is Breakwater, the song Release the Beast. And that's from 1980, featured on the song Robot Rock. Then we get to Random Access Memories, that's 2013, and it seems like after all of these other records, there was nowhere else to go but back to the roots, and it has, again, more of that disco funk sound, a lot of uh, vibes of their childhood from the 70s and 80s, and what they grew up listening to. When you think of uh, Random Access Memories, there's a lot of, kind of a Fleetwood Mac Eagles vibe, I think, on that one, but you... They finally are then paired up with people who they were inspired by. They worked with Niall Rogers. They worked with Giorgio Marauder so major. on that record. Yeah, which Those is two. huge. Imagine, yeah, growing up and listening to that music and then and putting that music in your albums as samples and then finally working with those genius level. They're, li- they're living the dream. Those Maestros, two. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then I will say some of the vocoder stuff that they were doing in their music earlier was probably inspired by Zap, another yes. funk group. I was waiting yeah. for you to mention Zap. <laughs> yeah, who also probably inspired like Tupac and California Love and all those things. And uh, and then if you think about Kraftwerk, which is kind of funky and electronic. Yeah. And then you have the whole robot, and then there's the computer love song, but also Zap had a computer love song. Zap had all the jams. Don't even get me started. Yeah. Craftwork, We Are the Robots. We are the robots. We are the robots. We are the robots. I mean, they... They really took all of their inspirations from the very beginning to the end and kept putting that into their music. I mean, I I didn't really listen to those latter albums too much, but like Tron, I mean, they loved that movie growing up. They're huge film nerds too. I mean, those helmets, the robot helmets, were a direct inspiration from the movie The Day the Earth Stood Still. Mm-hmm. That 
film Electroma was probably heavily influenced by maybe Hodorowsky or Kubrick even. The Pyramid, 2001 Space Odyssey, Tron again, Technologic, Sci-Fi, all of that. I think they really took everything that they were inspired by from that pivotal era of their childhood, growing up with that disco music, growing up in the 80s with those cool 80s movies. They took every single inspiration all the way to the bitter end, I think, and, and really built a career off of the, the things that they love. And then again, like I said, stayed true to themselves the whole, the whole time. Yeah. And what great material to work from. Like there's so much magic happening in, in the 70s and the 80s, which I really think is like the pinnacle of, of music globally, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So to have that inform your own sound and style, like, God, how lucky, how lucky are they? So lucky yeah. to have someone who is even in the mu- music industry as part of their family to help right. them. <laughs> help them do it right. Help them be protected every step of the way. You know, it's, it's really I important. Wonder, yeah. And then I wonder too, to clear those samples, did the dad help out in any way? Did he know those Interesting. people personally? Yeah. Is he buddies of Barry uh, White? Now I'm turning on him. <laughs> Rose Rose Royce, they sampled in too long, and Maze and Frankie Frankie Beverly, another epic. If you don't know Maze sure. and Frankie Beverly, put that on your sk- roller skating playlist ASAP. Yeah, I wonder, did Daniel Vanguard know these people personally and were able to clear these samples or like help in some way clear these samples? Well, I'm grateful. However, it all panned out. We got us <laughs> Me too. a few albums of kick-ass music, so I'm pretty happy about it. Me too. So, what's your favorite Daft Punk album, by the way? That's so hard for me, but I want to say Discovery just because I think the first Daft Punk song I ever heard, maybe, shoot, I don't know if the first Daft Punk song I ever heard was The Funk or was it from Discovery at a rave in college before the album actually came out. Mm. Because I feel like both would have happened in around similar times for me. What's your favorite? It's going to be Homework, man. I mean, I'm I'm a techno head, house head to my core. So nothing's going to do it for me the way homework does. I also like human after all. They kind of lost me on discovery. Um, really? Yeah, I didn't like the oh, single. Dang. I didn't like one more time. So it took a while. I, you know, I warmed no. up to it. Yeah. But I was, I was late to that party. And then there, those Alive albums, those still get regular play here for sure. Yeah. I know you, I know you watched this because we were definitely texting during this happened when this happened. But on February 22nd, 2022, they aired that Alive, was that, wait, hold on, was that Alive 2007 or? It was 97, I think. Okay, that's what I was thinking. Yeah, they, they suddenly was, came alive on social media and people just went nuts and then they were streaming this amazing yeah. show on Twitch. It was great. Almost a year after their breakup, they came alive and they were on Twitch and we were able to relive one of their live shows. And it was so awesome. I was just thinking, man, I wish I could be there right now. Yeah, it was fantastic. I was cooking while listening to it and uh, dancing while wielding a very sharp butcher knife <laughs> and trying to chop vegetables very meticulously. is probably not the best idea, but I had a good time. You know, we talk about the funk and the rock elements that were inspiring to them and even maybe the film elements that were inspiring to Daft Punk. But we haven't really dug into the electronic music side of things. Mm. Well, girlfriend. What's, I know <laughs> you're ready to talk to me about this. What's your sort of favorite element of their music that 
does bridge this electronic music gap? Is it the French house? Is it the techno pieces? Tell us more. Absolutely. I mean, I've always been, like I said, a house head and a techno head. I love all of it. You know, I love the disco scene, all that jazz. So every track, I had a really great time with it. But I kind of gravitated towards the the harder, more like techno forward tracks. The ones that people were, most people were like annoyed by, like rolling and scratching. And especially rock and roll, where it's just that that screeching noise that gets louder and louder <laughs> throughout the song. That was my jam. That's all I need. <laughs> So most really hard, hard style industrial, like all of the EDM that gets really loud and gritty. I like, I live for that shit. It's my favorite, but yeah, that like pummeling loud. Give it to me. I love it. (laughs) I want to feel the bass in my spine. Like let's, let's go there. Um, so yeah, let's talk about their their dance music aspect and how they were inspired. Now, I think it's interesting, like I talk about how we're same but different. I'm kind of approaching this a bit different in the sense that I'm going to just take the house music aspect and just let's follow it back a few decades and see where it takes us, right? Yeah. Um, and now, of course, this is not like a, a college course or anything. There are going to be lots of gaps, but I just kind of want to touch on the important eras of dance music, right? Over the next yeah. 30 or so years. So the cool thing about Daft Punk is they basically pioneered a whole subgenre of house music unto themselves called French House, a.k.a. New Disco or a.k.a. French Touch, right? So this really took shape in the 90s where there was this hotbed of experimentation mixing disco and funk and house music and then mixing it with like filtering and vocal processing and all these cool modern effects to make something fresh and new, but like preserve that classic feel which I think is what's really most appealing about Daft Punk. You know, that old but new vibe they give us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they're definitely pioneers of French House. There were some other notable groups like Cassius, Stardust. Etienne de Cressy, again. Which? Yes. Kind of interrupt you there. Yeah, yeah. Thomas Bangalter was part of Stardust. Oh, yeah. And he was doing a lot of solo stuff on his own as well. Yeah. That helped. Yeah, he did. He actually named a party that I had in Atlanta after a Thomas Bangalter song called Club Soda. Oh, cute. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Etienne de Cressy, sorry for butchering. I do not speak French. His group Motor Bass. So his group Motorbase, they had a, their debut album, Pansol, is considered like the first official French house release. And that was in 96, which is less than a year before Homework came out. So French house doing its thing. Yeah. Also, another French, French touch group that was named is Air. which I thought was really interesting because I had a couple albums from Air when I was when I was younger, but I felt they were I like... I all of them. You do? I love them. I, I love Air oh, yeah, they're so great. much. I had uh, Moon Safari and... 
was it talkie, talkie walkie? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But they were always more like down tempo to me. I didn't think yeah. they could be really Kinda considered loungy. house, but eh, I don't know. They're also French yeah. touch. I guess they're notable too, because they probably got the most international attention alongside Daft Punk, right? Yeah. I mean, and Ed Banger Records really had a lot of those artists on there on that record label that were doing that sort of French touch thing. Yeah. Ed Banger also had more French electronic music acts like Justice, Sebastian, Cassius, Breakbot, Mr. Oizo. I love Ed Banger Records. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, so let's move back from French House. How did we get to French House? We got to take it to where it all started, which is Chicago. Chicago is the birthplace of house music. Again, I was born too late, but <laughs> I did go to college in Chicago and I was really, really grateful. I did a lot of clubbing when I was up there and you definitely still had the spirit of house, still got to hear a lot of the classics in the club. So I didn't completely miss out, but uh, to be in Chicago during the 80s and 90s would have been fantastic. It's here we are, like, rising from the ashes of disco, right, in the early 80s. And like you mentioned before, Daft Punk's track, Teachers, you hear a lot of really big names from the Chicago house scene. Paul Johnson, DJ Dion, DJ Sneak, DJ Rush, Wax Master, Lil Lewis, and more. Just tons of shout outs, right? Mm-hmm. So pinpointing the origins of Chicago house, it's, it's debatable. It's a hot topic, but a lot of house heads would cite... Jesse Saunders' track, On and On, as being like the first official released house record. Oh, interesting. Yeah, so that came out in 1984. Um, Saunders is also known for being the co-founder of Trax Records, which is like the seminal indie record label that spread that house music sound worldwide. A lot of the, the biggest house hits came out on tracks. So let's see. Let's let's think about some big big Chicago house hits. We've got Marshall Jefferson's "Move Your Body." Move your body. Move your body. That's my jam. <laughs> uh, Steve Silk Hurley's "Jack Your Body." Uh, which is the first house song to go number one in the UK. Oh, and the the Marshall Jefferson song, Move Your Body, that was one of the earliest house tracks to feature the piano chords on the track, oh, which has yeah. become like such a prevalent thing in dance music now, you know? Yeah. We've got Lil Lewis, French Kiss, which they were still playing in the clubs during my time. Are you familiar with this track? You should check this track out. It's like 10 minutes long. And let's just say it's a very orgasmic experience. If you all have <laughs> never heard French Kiss, you should check it yeah. out. Um, Frankie Knuckles. Yes, I'm going to get to him in a second. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> you can't talk about House without Frankie Knuckles. Come on, Tara. No. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cashmere, another group I was really obsessed with. Uh, famous for that song, Coffee Pot, better known as It's Time for the Percolator. It's Time yes. for the Percolator. That's my jam. 
Do you have any favorite house tracks? How, how into house are you? I love house music. I play all of those songs out. I don't play French Kiss, but... <laughs> Understood. I mean, I yeah, I play all these tracks out. Uh, even, do you know, DJ Pierre was mentioned uh, as someone who also founded some house music epic things in Chicago. He used to live in Atlanta, and he's like the father of Acid House. So. Oh, dope. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But no, I love house music. It's great. Yeah, I think my favorite house track of all time, because it holds the most sentimental value for me. And here we're going back to my sister's sock drawer full of cassette tapes. <laughs> I had a mixtape in there that had Ralphie Rosario's track, You Used to Hold Me. And that was my ultimate dance jam as a kid. Actually, I don't know that that one. Oh, I love it. Unless so much. I've unless I know it, it's one of those like if you hear if you heard it, you know it kind of things. Maybe, yeah. I don't know if I have a favorite house track. It's too many I to would, choose from. We should have we should uh, play the high fidelity game to that sometime. Oh, totally. We should. I would love that. Yeah, that's a great yeah, idea. Yeah. We should. I'll, I'll put some more thought into it. Well, we we can't talk about Chicago house music without mentioning the greats, right? The two heavyweight DJs of the time, Frankie Knuckles and Ron Hardy. They each presided. Yeah, Frankie Knuckles, man. They each presided over major Chicago house club institutions. So you had Frankie Knuckles at the warehouse and the power plant. And the warehouse is probably where we even get the term house music. Um, And then you have Ron Hardy presiding over the music box, right? And these two stylistically were like night and day. You And people like identified as either a Frankie person or a Ron person. That's how, that's how deeply steeped in the culture these yeah. two were. So Frankie Knuckles was known for being smooth and, and classy, you know, a little more conventional. While Ron Hardy, he was like the other extreme, very intense, experimental, and just like crazy loud. A fun fact about Ron Hardy that I love he helped break Acid House music onto the scene, like around 85, when he played the record Acid Tracks by Future, P-H-U-R-T-U-R-E, which cleared the dance floor, like with all of its weird squelching and squeaking that's characteristic of Acid House. So what does Ron Hardy do? He plays that track three more times, bitches. And by the end, like the whole wow. dance floor is packed and everybody's going wild. So like, that's the kind of guy he is, just very aggressive and intense, right? Yeah. That's when uh, the manager of the club would fire me. <laughs> yeah, not Ron Hardy. He's like, no, we're gonna, <laughs> we're making this happen. Uh, meanwhile, Frankie Knuckles, like Ron Hardy, was known for his for being really technically his technical expertise, rather. And Frankie Knuckles was was kind of um, he was like the master of mood. He knew what track should come after which track to kind of get this like vibe going. He knew how to craft stories and landscapes that evolved elegantly throughout his sets really yeah. beautifully. I feel like I'm a Frankie Knuckles and you're a Ron Hardy. I'm a Ron Hardy. Yeah, probably. That's Ron Hardy like doesn't get a lot of props. Personalities. I know. <laughs> Divergent <laughs> paths popping up everywhere. Yeah. It's I mean, true. I, I love Frankie Knuckles as well, but yeah, I probably would have right, been course. drawn to the Ron Hardy insanity yeah. on the other side of town. The insanity piece. All right. So let's keep moving back. All right, so we've, we've got our Chicago house. Now let's take a step back to 
electro music, kind of like in the early 80s, right? So this is the kind of the counterpoint to house music that's blowing up everywhere, but especially in Europe, right? This is, I think this is where our paths kind of collide because electro yeah. is that marriage between electronic music and funk, you know? It's kind of the precursor to hip hop with its heavy use of drum machines, you know, the 808 and all that vocal distortion and vocoding, talk boxes and all that stuff. Um, very clearly influenced by sci-fi and computer games. Mm-hmm. Think about like African Bombada's Planet Rock, Warp 9's Nunk, and Cybotron's Clear. Let's listen to a bit of that. Yeah, so those are some classic examples of this sound. Um, if you're not familiar with that Cybotron track, I'm sure you've you probably recognize it from Missy Elliott's hit "Lose Control" because that track is basically Cybotron's track. <laughs> she samples that. So the influence of electro is clearly threaded, I think, throughout Daft Punk's discography. Certainly through their super process, like robotic vocals and like the repeated chanting. Yeah. Uh, Greg Wilson, who's an English DJ and producer, I want to read a quote from him talking about the origins of electro. He says, it was all about stretching the boundaries that have begun to stifle black music. And its influences lay not only with German technopop wizards Kraftwerk, the acknowledged forefathers of pure electro, plus British futurist acts like the Human League and Gary Newman, but also with a number of pioneering black musicians, major artists like Miles Davis, Sly Stone, Herbie Hancock, Stevie Wonder, legendary producer Norman Whitfield, and of course, George Clinton and his P-Funk Brigade. And I think that's pretty clearly heard in Daft Punk's music for sure. Yeah. I feel like George Clinton, when we're thinking of these funk masters along with Electro, we think about how like they were playing rock and they're they introducing funk elements, taking it to this other level of Electro. They're just like so whacked out on acid. Like the entire time they are performing. So we've hit this bit of a fork in the road, right? Where pure disco and more electro, electro beat kind of split off. But there's this little conduit genre that I feel like we should mention, and it's called high energy. So high energy, we're talking like late 70s, early 80s. This is more up-tempo, still disco-y, but it's devoid of that funk element and just more synthesized, you know, electronic, all of the things with those like octave spanning bass lines that we're so familiar with in techno music and whatnot. Yeah. So some popular high energy tracks would be like High Energy by Evelyn Thomas. Yeah, so you can definitely hear in, in Evelyn Thomas's track, it makes you think of Frankie Goes to Hollywood's Relax with that thumping four to the floor bass line. They're almost identical, right? Um, some other examples, Your Love by Lime, You Spin Me Round by Dead or Alive, You Make Me Feel by Sylvester, a personal favorite of mine. And even like Two of Hearts by Stacey Q. I had forgotten about that song. Come on, come on, two of hearts, two hearts Do you remember I that song? That song? Oh, yeah. I <laughs> yeah. play it, and I play it right into Blue Monday by New Order. Sweet, sweet. Yeah. So Simon Reynolds, 
music journalist, he says, the non-funkiness was crucial. Slamming rather than swinging, high energy's white European feel was accentuated by butt-bumping bass twangs at the end of each bar. And I think that phrase, slamming rather than swinging, is yeah. the most telling, right? Yeah. All right, let's move back one more. We're going to the mid-late 70s to space disco. Oh, okay. You're definitely entering some Daft Punk territory with this one. For sure, for, for sure. sure. We're staying on track with Daft Punk here. Space Disco is Mama Disco's sci-fi obsessed offspring. Or <laughs> like more specifically, it's related to Italo Disco, which obviously is the disco scene that was coming out of Italy. I guess basically Europe was still way into disco when it had fizzled in America. So when that wellspring of disco records started to dry up, Italian producers just took it upon themselves and started making their own hits, right? Yeah. And we, of course, can't talk about Italo or disco in general without mentioning Giorgio Moroder, who you mentioned earlier. Yes. He's the legendary Italian producer, pretty much known as the father of disco, right? And EDM. He's a disco wizard. He's absolutely a disco wizard. And he produced, like, so many hits. He did... Nearly all of Donna Summer's hits. Um, but yeah, his, his list of credits is just completely out of this world. He did Blondie's Call Me. That Donna Summer, I feel love, that arpeggiating. Oh, yeah. I feel like you can hear that sort of thing happen in so many Giorgio Marauder, Giorgio Marauder songs. It's a hard name to say, isn't it? Marauder. It's like your Marauder, tongue gets folded up on itself. Like I'm going to swallow my tongue. I have a really funny story to tell. Okay. Giorgio Marauder played Pitchfork Festival one summer. And I was walking to go to his set and I heard a girl go, let's go watch Giorgio whatever. And I was <laughs> facepalm. The blasphemy. <laughs> how dare she learn the man's name? Does she know how no. important he is? No. Does she know how lucky she is to see this wizard on stage doing his thing? <laughs> how oh dare my she? Gosh. <laughs> Giorgio, whatever. Whatever. Come on. Yeah, but he's he's done a ton, tons of major movie soundtracks. Just incredible, incredible resume, if you will. I mean, Hell, Daft Punk dedicates an entire song to this man on Random Access Memories. So that's yeah. quite the homage, I'd say. They get to work with him. For sure. After that. Yeah, so much as you probably drew from its name, it, it leans heavily, Space Disco, into these futuristic sci-fi aspects, all the way from the, the music production to like the themes of the songs lyrically, and of course in the performances, you know, everyone's all dressed up like robots and astronauts and all this. But like, if you think about it, it was already thriving in the mid seventies, but like in 77, you got Star Wars, you got Close Encounters mm -hmm. of the Third Kind. 2001 Space Odyssey. Yeah, Space Invaders came out around that time, the game. So it was just ripe for this sort of like obsession with outer space to really blow up, right? Yeah, and even that film that was the inspiration to their helmets that the day the earth stood still. Yeah, yeah. And then even, I think, didn't Saturday Night Fever, that came out in 77 as well, right? I'm pretty sure. I, I need to look that up. Yeah. Yeah, 77. So nice. there you go. All the pieces of the puzzle falling into place for Space Disco. Yeah. Even um, Truly. the Star Wars theme was a big hit. Is it Miko? 
I think is the name of the group. I think I'm pronouncing that right. So they had the Star Wars theme. Um, Hot Gossips, I Lost My Heart to a Starship Trooper, which <laughs> is already great from the title alone, but the music video is is truly an experience that should not be missed. If you want to see something that's like more steeped in the 70s than you've ever seen, it's this music video. And then the group Space. They have their, their debut album, Magic Fly. They're a French electronic band. And I think they're another direct predecessor to Daft Punk too, because if you watch the video to Magic Fly, they're all dressed as in astronaut suits with their helmets and they're playing on synthesizers and the video's all like trippy and futuristic. So I think space were part of the Daft Punk ingredients list for sure. All right, we've got one more stop. So let's back up to synth pop, AKA techno pop of the 1970s. Right. So this is like post-punk, new wave, synth dominant style of music that was booming worldwide and starting to merge more with electronic dance styles. And this was happening all over the world. Like one of the biggest influences in synth pop that emerged from Japan was Yellow Magic Orchestra. Yes. Love them. So amazing. Right, Sakamoto. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, oh, Jesus. Um, they've been credited with laying a foundation for a ton of genres from techno and house to hip hop and video game music, right? They were first to use the 808 or something, right? Something like yeah. that? Yeah. And even like sampling and sequencing was, they were kind of one of the first to do it for sure. Isao Tomita. And you know what? I'm going to say very little about Tomita because he really like deserves his own episode. I really... <laughs> Love Tamita. When it comes to electronic music, all roads lead to Tamita for sure. If you aren't familiar with him and you don't really know where to start in his discography, he's famous for these beautiful analog synth arrangements like Moog and Mellotron of popular classical pieces. So I highly recommend his second album, Snowflakes Are Dancing, which features the music of Claude Debussy. Just gorgeous retelling in an analog electronic way. Um, just a couple more names. We've got Jean Michel Jarre, the French progressive electronic guru who shot to fame in well, like 76, I think, with his release of Oxygen. Ox release of Oxygen. That sounds like flatulence. I didn't mean it that way. <laughs> He has an album called Oxygen that was very popular. Um, he was also known for his over-the-top outdoor concert spectacles with laser shows and fireworks, which I would have loved to have seen. UK, we've got the Human League. Don't you want me? Don't, don't you want me? You know I can't believe it when I hear that you won't see me, don't. Everybody knows that tune. Yes. Gary Newman, rocking that androgynous android persona. <laughs> are friends electric? They exactly. Are, they're daft punk. Indeed. New Order. Uh, we, we had Devo. We added Devo to the conversation. You know what? I didn't realize that Devo got together all the way back in 73. That's oh, much I didn't earlier. realize that either. Yeah, I don't think they blew up until Whip It, which was like 80. 
but they'd been together since early 70s. When you think about space disco and synth pop and how YMO was sort of this fire starter to say for the for these sort of genres. I'm just wondering where does something like Pink Floyd and these more sort of spacey 70s, very cinematic type bands fall? I mean, because they're, they're like moving through the 70s. There feels like there could potentially be some sort of overlap there. Oh, for sure. Dark Side of the Moon, when did that come out? That came out in... 1973. Oh, wow. Not as old. For whatever reason, I thought it was closer to 79, but I guess not. And then you have YMO. I feel like the combination of the space race all over the world. Yeah. That kind of exploded everyone's imaginations about what's out there and like this obsession with, you know, aliens and different planets and stuff. And then mix that with like the psychedelica, (laughs) the psychedelics era and the drug era. I think people were just like letting their imaginations go wild. And it was coming through in a lot of the music. Yeah, that's very true. Yes. Host and O. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so YMO was formed in 1978. So I feel like there must be something, like you said, with the space race, this like 70s psychedelia, very um, cinematic rock happening, the whole drug thing in the 70s. All of it comes together to start to push certain genres into different directions, and I think that's a really cool thing to look at. Yeah, I think the space, futurism, and all that jazz touched every music genre that was alive in the 70s, for sure. Yeah, and then other than that, I mean, then we have Kraftwerk. <laughs> of course, of course, we would end the conversation at Kraftwerk. I mean, there are predecessors to Kraftwerk. They had to be inspired by somebody. But again, this is not a college course, so we're going to stop there. Yeah, this could go yeah. on and on. The, the pioneers of robot rock out of Germany with their string of successful albums in the 70s. The pioneers of robot rock. I love For it. For sure. And I, I think the parallels are pretty clear between the, the thread between Kraftwerk to Daft Punk. Definitely. Yeah. Pop melodies, electronic elements, robots. A lot of robots. I watched a hilarious interview, <laughs> a lady trying to interview Kraftwerk, but it was just a robot instead. And she reached out to shake the robot's hand and it took like 20 seconds for the metal arm to rise 90 degrees for her to shake the hand. (laughs) It was hysterical. This is quite the journey we've been on through. And it's so abbreviated. funk, very abbreviated. There's too much even to go through each of Daft Punk's samples, like the things that they do and how they use their inspirations. Again, though, you can see it, you can hear it in everything they do all of their inspirations. And it's so clear to me. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's why it's so magical. It's like, it's such a pure combination of their lives, their musical lives up to that point. And you could tell they weren't trying to make it anything other than that. They were just being very honest about sharing themselves, who they are musically and creatively through music. That's true. And like what you said, though, they still kind of ended up influencing electronic music in such a way by making their own sort of mark on history with this sound. Absolutely. French house music. Have you seen them live? I haven't. Have you? Yeah. I hate you. (laughs) I saw them when they headlined Coachella. And (sighs) uh, if I could have just died on the spot and been, been happy about it. It was, it was amazing. 
they're rather private people. And I've heard that because of their helmets, they are allowed to live normal, normal lives and were in the fields in Coachella watching the video that's, you know, saying like Daft Punk later kind of a thing. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah. So they're just I feel hanging like out. I you were probably them. next to them. I don't <laughs> no know. way. I definitely would have recognized them, especially you the think? cute one. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So funny. Yeah. You know, what's fascinating about this conversation too, is like, I set out, I, I wanted us to do like a divergent paths kind of thing. But what we ended up discovering is that there's so much overlap for these very There's so much overlap. different styles. And they're all yeah. kind of informing each other throughout history. It's really cool. It's true. Because like another direction we could have taken would have been like, I was like, well, we could do how we could do dance music, electronic versus funk and soul or whatever. But we could also do like their punk rock and roll influences versus hip hop. But even those overlap. Those overlap. The histories of and rock themes and themes too. If yeah. we're just talking about themes because Revolution 909 starts out with a party being busted for reasons that are maybe not true, which could be very much like thinking of hip hop and like how the cops are like busting up shit for no good reason, like, or reasons that are unfair. Well, I mean, house music too, because this was all born from like, you know, black and Latino communities and, and gay youths who just wanted a place to yeah. be themselves. Yeah. And, and being harassed for that. So there's definitely representation of, of a lot of those experiences, I think, in the beginning yeah. of that track. That's what I'm trying definitely. to say. <laughs> yeah. Well, Tara, I, I feel closer to you after having done that. <laughs> I think I think Daft Punk brought us closer together. Now that I know you're a Ron Hardy and I'm a Frankie Knuckles. And we can exist in you. harmony. Yes, yeah. I see you. I see you. I'll meet you on the dance floor. I'll be the Thomas Bangalter to your guy, Manuel Omem Cristo. De Omem Cristo. Oh, I want the famous dad with all the music connections. That's not fair. <laughs> Wait, oh. <laughs> I only chose him first because his name was easier to say first. Oh, that's fair. Totally fair. We now, Natalie, know what we have to do. And that is, number one, close the store. But number two, um, start making some songs with samples. And then maybe we can be a duo also. And Oh, we should. Where? We should get up on that. We need to educate ourselves on sampling and make it happen. Get that list out, girlfriend. We got some got some samples got to make. Yeah. Mine are mostly 70s rock. Right on. <laughs> All right. Well, let's close this store. It's getting late. Thanks, everyone, for shopping. Please come back later. Happy trails. Bye, everybody. Record Store Society is hosted by Natalie White and Tara Davies. If you'd like to contact the show, visit our website at recordstoresociety.com. Or you can find us on all your favorite social media sites with the handle at Record Store Society.